Good morning. My name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, do I just throw this to you? No, I, I can just set it down over here. It's okay. Um, so we are in uh, yellow zone. Could you just go to the next one, Harrison? That would be great. You are the personal clicker. Thank you. Um, so we are in yellow zone, right? Or orange zone. Yellow tomorrow. So here, here's just like a little bit of um, uh, housekeeping around this is that uh, we are allowed to sing, uh, we, which is exciting because we haven't been able to, uh, but we do need to keep our masks on for that today. Uh, but I would invite you to, to celebrate and put some gum in there if you need to uh, so that you can enjoy your own breath. And, uh, but, but that's a real, a real privilege for us. So tomorrow we go into yellow, right? So um, we, next week when you arrive, you don't need to have the blue or black mask. You can wear your own uh, mask, you know, your like skull and crossbones things again, you can bring that back. Uh, and uh, when you're actually seated in here, you can take that off. Uh, but we'll, whenever you're singing or talking to someone in here, you just need to put that back on. So those are the official government rules. We're following those uh, well. We could actually have up to 250 people, but we couldn't fit that many people in here. And we made a choice as a church during the pandemic that we were going to take our church and break up into five different locations. And then we're going to keep that going for the rest of this year. So I was just in NDG. Uh, we couldn't get into the building this morning, so I preached in a park with uh, all the distractions that a dog park and uh, elderly Zumba and uh, squirrels uh, giving biology lessons above me. Like, it was just, it was a really neat morning. So uh, hopefully it'll be a little more tame here. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, and I, I'm so excited to be in the book of Mark. So if you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark 3. Uh, if you have a phone, there are Bible apps on there. You could get one. version app would be great. If you want a Bible to go home with, uh, we can get you one from our office. Do we have Bibles back there? Yeah, we do, in English or in French, I think. Uh, so, yeah, we'd love to give that uh, to you. So let me pray, and then we'll get going. Uh, God, thank you that you uh, love us. Uh, thank you that uh, despite what we're coming in with, whether we would call ourselves a follower of Jesus or not, uh, thank you that your posture toward us really is, is love, and that you are, uh, you are desiring people to come to know who you are and what you've done. And we thank you so much that you, that you pursue us. Uh, we, are, we are sleepy people who become very apathetic about all kinds of things that we were excited about even uh, a few days ago. And you are, are the one that's keeping us excited about who you are and your mission. And you're doing something here in the city that we can't even see at this time. Thank you for the work that you're doing in NDG and in Verdun and in uh, the West Island, Pierrefonds, and in the South Shore, and Delson. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing here in downtown. I pray that, uh, that many people would, uh, would come to know you uh, this morning across the city. Uh, and thank you for the bass notes as well above. We love you. Amen. I, I had background music with Zumba this morning, and so I had background uh, bass beats. And I still don't know where those bass beats are coming from. Last week I investigated them, and I have no idea. So if someone can figure out where they're coming from, it might just be uh, the Lord laying down a sweet track for me as I preach. Um, so how many of you have ever had uh, detectives come to your house? Don't, don't put up your hands, right? We don't want to make judgments. I see that hand. <laughs> uh, but if you've ever had detectives come to your house in some way, shape, or form, or want to engage you, not for coffee, but because they have questions about something that you're connected to, uh, it's not the best feeling. 
Uh, if you've ever been on a roller coaster, which I imagine many people have, that feeling you get when you're to the top and you just start to go down where you kind of lose your stomach for a second somewhere in there, that's kind of the prolonged feeling that talking to detectives over a long period of time feels like, right? It's not the most uh, happy, exciting moments because you're trying to figure out what are they here for? Even when you cross over the border, when that's a thing again, like it seems like it'll be able to be a thing. Like they ask you, uh, how many people are in the car? I'm like, five. No, 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 six. You know, six. It's like I lose, I lose track in, the, in the, the face of authority, right? And they're just like, wait, how many, do you know how to count? I'm like, I don't know how to count. I just, I don't know anymore. And it's very intimidating in a sense. But imagine that you're at home and you have um, a judge or a few judges and you have detectives and you also have um, the media all show up with their little media vans and microphones and you have some pastors or spiritual authority and they all show up at your door. Right, that's going to be intimidating. I don't know if I want to open my door for them. Right, that's when I'm really thankful for a little camera on the front doorbell. It's just like, no, I'm going to go back to life uh, the way it was before. But this is what Jesus experienced on this day. What, what was Stephen read for us and what we're going to look at is what Jesus engaged with. These visitors showed up in his town, very small town, um, to bring sort of a verdict, this soft verdict, this accusation, this thing that they had against him. And these are, are scribes. Um, so they're, they're very important people in that society. We have different important people. You might have a certain influencer that you follow or Instagrammer or uh, a certain media outlet. Um, and you're influenced by them and you want to be influenced by them. You've chosen that. Well, to be a Jewish person, you were influenced by the scribes. And especially the scribes in Jerusalem. They were the ones that were coming from the big important place. So think like Vatican or Mecca, right? They were coming from the important place to make a verdict and to give a judgment on what's going on in this little place. These scribes were like teachers of the law. They were teachers of the Bible and interpreters for the people. So it's, you didn't have your, your Old Testament scrolls that you were walking around with. Um, you went to synagogue and they unpacked what the text actually meant for you. Like that's how things worked. So you were very dependent if you were a Jewish person on the scribes and their, and their teaching. And so when they come to town, they come to town with a very specific purpose. Now let's, let's look at Mark chapter 3 uh, verse 22 for that purpose. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, now geographically they wouldn't come down because they were in the south, but coming down was an elevation term. So they came down from Jerusalem to Galilee. And they came down from Jerusalem and they were saying, he is possessed with Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And then in verse 30, it says, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So they show up with a soft verdict that Jesus is, is casting out demons, but he's doing it because he's plugged into the power of Satan. That's a pretty strong accusation. I don't know if you've been accused of something before, um, but I've never been accused of that, right? That's about a, as tip-top of, of an accusation that you can receive. And they didn't come just with the accusation. They came to talk to people in a small town about this. So how many of you are from a small town? Okay, there's like four of us. Okay, great. All of you urban dwellers have no idea what I'm talking about. I grew up in a town of 6,000 people. Okay? If you do something that you should not do, when you show up at school on Monday morning 
Everyone is going to know about it. Everyone. And it doesn't matter if you're in a popular class or not. Everyone is going to know about that thing. And so Jesus understands if, if you've been maligned, if you've been lied about, if you've been falsely accused over things, you need to understand that Jesus understands you. Jesus understands what you've gone through. Jesus understands what it is to be lied about. So we don't have this foreign God that knows nothing of our experience in day to day. But rather we have a God who's very close to us and understands what we are going through. And I just think that's phenomenal. So Jesus is there in this town, the scribes, the important, you know, judge, police, media, pastors, they all show up in this one group of people and they make this accusation. And part of the accusation is true. What part is true of the accusation they make? He's casting out demons, right? If you see someone going from being possessed, like I think of eyes rolling back in their head, doing things, talking with like crazy voices, and all of a sudden you see them completely different, you can't deny that fact that this is happening. And the scribes aren't denying that. They're saying, no, no, it's happening. We know it's happening. But what we take issue with is how it's happening and by who it's happening. The second thing that's actually true about that statement is that Jesus was possessed. In Mark 1, when we looked at Mark 1, and as Jesus was baptized into the water and came back out, the Holy Spirit comes and descends, not onto him, but into him, and he takes over Jesus, in a sense, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit work together to accomplish the ministry that Jesus is doing. And so, in a sense, Jesus gives himself over to be completely possessed by the Spirit of God. So that is true, and we know that as the readers going into this text, if you've been tracking with Mark so far. But what's false about this? What's false about it is that it, it had, yeah, what's false? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's using this power of Beelzebul, that's a fun name. Um, Beelzebul, they're not quite sure how to translate that or exactly what it means, so a fun guess is Lord of the Flies. So if you've read Lord of the Flies and you think about Beelzebul and Satan, you kind of like get a better picture of what's going on in that little novel um, and what takes over Roger and all these guys. But probably the way that we should be looking at it is that it's master of the house. That Beelzebul or Satan is master of the house. And what the scribes are saying is that the one who has power in this world is working inside of Jesus. The Jewish people would have said that, that Satan has a lot of power in this world, that he's a great enemy, and that's a power that's at work in the person of Jesus, that, that he's the master of Jesus' house. And so the scribes, I think, right, we can only presume this stuff. I think the scribes come to town thinking, hey, we really care about these people. I care about the people in the small town. We want to alert them that there's a false teacher that's doing apostate work and he's trying to draw you away and seduce you away from the true and living God. But in reality, what are they doing? They're actually protecting the people in that town, the region, and the people around the ministry of Jesus from engaging with the truth. They think they're protecting from evil, but they're actually protecting people from the truth. And here's the thing. The moment that the scribes show up in town and start telling people, uh, hey, Michelle, did you know? Did you know that Jesus is full of Satan and everything he's doing? 
is because of Satan. Michael, did you know that, Michael, good to see you, man. Uh, did you know that, that Jesus is full of Satan, right? And we just start going through the town that way. The damage is done. Like already people start engaging with Jesus and they're like, I don't know anymore. I thought that this was legit. I thought that the power of God was working through him, but I'm not sure anymore and they're caused to doubt. What would you do? If this was you, you're in the small town, you've been doing things, and you've been doing them for good reason, and a bunch of people show up and start talking to the town, not to you, but to the town about the stuff that you're doing, lying about you, what would you do? Okay, freak out. How would you freak out? Okay, yep. So you're going to go to jail? Man, I'm getting lots of answers from this corner. Okay, so physical action, all right? Don't top that one. Okay, now we're moving to bombs. Now we're going, now we're going next level. We're going to drop back a little bit, all right? Um, so once we mature, right, we would probably try and figure out a way. We would all want to do that, right? If we're really honest, we would all want to do that. Um, but we'd try and figure out a way to help everyone know that they were wrong. And we would like send out a press release or a carefully crafted Facebook post or a TikTok thing or a boomerang. Like, no, I, I don't know what we would do. But something to show that we are not wrong, right? We would go to me, protecting me. But that's not what Jesus does. Look at what Jesus does in verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? He called them to himself. This isn't like me calling, I'll use Malachi. It's not me saying, Malachi, come here. Right? Not that type of thing. It's more of like, hey, come hang out with me. Like, come, come be with me. Come spend time with me. Now, we got to put this into perspective, Right? These are the people that are there to destroy Jesus. And he's essentially inviting them over for wine and cheese. That's not the way we work. We work with bombs and we work with physical violence. And we work with how do I destroy them and remove them or at least make myself right. And the way that Jesus' kingdom rolls is how do I bring them closer to me so that they understand who I really am. This is staggering about Jesus. Jesus could have called down armies of angels, like, just go take care of those scribes. Jesus could have just breathed their way and had them removed. But instead, he loves them. If you're like me, um, those who accuse me or malign me, um, I, my first response isn't like, how do I get close to them and give them a social distance hug? Right? It's, it's more of like, how do, how do I pay them back and show people that, that I'm right. And yet Jesus moves with, toward them in patience, in kindness, in gentleness, but with truth. And you know what? The same spirit that dwells inside of Jesus dwells inside of us and wants to move us from how do I throw a bomb at them to how, how do I love them? How do I show them a different kingdom? A kingdom that's not of this world. So back to this story. Jesus speaks to them in parables. Tell me what a parable is. What's a parable? 
Okay, it's kind of like a short story, all right? What's it, what's it meant to tell? Yeah, it's supposed to teach a lesson, right? So we have, I don't know how modern day it is, but like the tortoise and the hare. What's, what's the, the, the uh, <laughs> I can't even think of words. What's the moral of the story of the, the tortoise? Okay, I'm going to shut down this corner. You guys are doing amazing participation trophy there. All right, what's the moral of the story of the tortoise and the hare? Slow and steady wins the race, so don't just like plow into things, right? But if you hear a story, if like all of a sudden I show up at your house and I'm like, let me tell you a story about a tortoise and a hare. And I tell you, and you're like, what are you talking about? Why are you telling me this silly story? And I think that's what went on in Jesus' day. Jesus would tell a story and people would be like, this teacher is crazy. He's telling stories. Like we have important business. But Jesus is telling stories because he's saying, I want for you to dig it's like a veiled truth. Behind this veil, there's a lot of truth that you need to deal with. But I know that if I tell you that truth, you're, it's going to offend you. You're going to be so mad about it. So I have to put a veil around it. And I have to invite you in. So parables were meant to invite people in to explore. And so these two parables have to deal with the question, how can Satan cast out Satan? Now what we know about Satan in, in Scripture is that he's all about him. Right? If you look up narcissistic personality disorder, there's a picture of him right there, DSM-5. Joking, it's not there, but the idea is that he really is all about him, and he will destroy anyone or anything that is trying to, to destroy him. He wants to remove our attention and affection away from... If you, have you ever read C.S. Lewis's uh, Screwtape Letters? It's, it's a conversation between a senior demon and junior demon, and they talk about God as the enemy. And they talk about doing anything possible to get people's attention and affection away from the enemy. And so this is what Satan is all about. He doesn't care. In fact, I'm sure that Satan would, would clap and be excited that churches are reopening, that people can gather together again. This is going to be great. But what he'll want to do is minimize and actually remove the cross. Gather, be excited, take care of one another. Just do it out of your power and not for King Jesus. He would be delighted about that. So he, we know that he's not self-destructive. He's all about him. So Jesus is saying, come on guys, like wake up. How can Satan cast out Satan? That's not even logical. Let me tell you a few stories. So listen to the first story in Mark 3 verse 24 to 26. If a kingdom is divided against itself. That kingdom cannot stand. We know history. We know that kingdoms have fallen and most of them have fallen because of inward division. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. How many of you liked the band Oasis? Okay, we got two in the room. All right, three maybe. Two and a half. Okay, I see those hands. Keep it. No. I love Oasis, but there's no more Oasis, is there? Why? Because two brothers cannot get along around music or seemingly anything else in life. The band cannot stand because the house cannot stand. We know in Quebec that there are really, really high uh, percentages of divorce. And that's actually gone down. And that's really just because people don't get married anymore. Because we just know it's not going to work out anyway. If, if a house is against one another, the house can't stand. And then in verse 26, and if Satan has risen up against himself... Right? Satan looks in the mirror and says, I'm going to get you. And is divided. He cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Jesus is being humorous and telling these stories. Right? Like, this isn't going to last. 
Satan can't do it because we all know that strength requires unity, doesn't it? Requires unity. Satan's not a suicide bomber. Instead, he's very strategic as a strong man, as one in charge of so much. We see his, his strength evidenced by, by slavery to sin, rebelling against God, enslavement through possession, like we see all over the New Testament, people being possessed by demons and being enslaved by them, people being enslaved by disease, and people being enslaved by death. It's not if we die, it's when we die. That we have the strong man living in our world that wants to destroy you. He's not a cute cartoon character. He's a real, active, moving being that wants to take out anyone that he possibly can. So this is the first story. Guys, come on. Satan can't be against himself or his kingdom won't stand. But then Jesus goes on in verse 27. He says, but, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. See, so right here, Jesus is carefully, very carefully revealing who he is and what he is about. Jesus is, is giving. This is that, that veiled intention that, that I'm here to do just that. But if he would have said, hey guys, I'm here. I'm the son of God. I'm here to destroy the works of the enemy. Uh, they would have tore their clothes, claimed blasphemy, and tried to have put Jesus to death right there in that moment. But Jesus is telling them the truth in a different way, in a veiled way, in a parabolic way. And the strong man, who's the strong man in verse 27? Yes, yeah, Satan. So no one can go into a strong man's house and take his stuff unless what? We bind up and tie up the strong man. And this is exactly what Jesus has done. In Revelation 12, I want you to listen. This is a, a, a wild passage and I can't explain everything. I'm not even going to try right now. Revelation 12, verse 1 to 5. And a great sign, this is the last book in the Bible. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet. And on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains. In the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head seven diadems. And so that represents Satan. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now, I mean, birth is terrifying and beautiful at the same time. But imagine a, a monster, right? Monster movies. You're about to give birth and this thing is going to devour the child. But she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God. The, the, the dragon didn't get this child. He was caught up to God and to his throne. And so this is a picture of Jesus coming into the world. This is Jesus leaving his heavenly place and coming into the world as a child. And what's so interesting is that Jesus is birthed into battle. It's not that he's birthed in this nice little like, you know, St. Mary's or some other hospital that's just, you get this beautiful birthing experience, it's wonderful. No, 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 he's like birthed on a battlefield where already the enemy is trying to devour him from the beginning. 
And then when Jesus comes onto the scene, as we see in Mark 1, and he's baptized into the wilderness, where's the first place that the Spirit takes him? To the wilderness. To, to what? To be tempted by Satan. The Spirit comes on Jesus, possesses him, and he says, guess what? The first thing we're going to do. We're going to go get ice cream and preach a little sermon and do a little healing. No, no, no. We're going to go to war. We're going into enemy territory and we're going to war. It's like stepping into the octagon. Now, if you watch Ultimate Fighting, it's done inside of an octagon. It's mixed martial arts. It's trying to figure out who's the best fighter in the world. And this is essentially what happens in the wilderness. It's not this neat little experience where Jesus is like, I don't need to eat your bread. You know, I, I eat the, the word of God, all that. It's that Jesus is at war. He's in the octagon, invading the territory. And as Jesus comes out into his territory, it's like him kicking in the front door, walking into Satan's house, and saying, I'm here to tie you up. I'm here to bind you. I'm here to take over your house. No longer is your rule and reign going to exist here. I'm, I'm the true champion. I'm the true ruler and master of this house. And I'm here for what is mine. And as Jesus is out in the wilderness, it's like him tying up Satan and saying, you're going to watch me take everything back from you. And I'm going to force you. You're going to fall asleep, and I'm going to shake you and wake you up and be like, there's more. You're going to watch me take more. This is what Jesus is doing in his ministry. And he, he plunders, and he walks out of the house with everything that is his. And exorcism and healing are some of the most visible demonstrations of this reality. In Luke uh, chapter 13, it's a book in the New Testament as well. Listen to this. Luke chapter 16. Jesus is speaking. He just healed a woman. He said, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, right? Binding her with disease. Bound her for 18 years. Be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And then it says at the end of verse 17, all the people rejoice at all the glorious things that were done by him. If uh, there, there was an instance, I think it was in Ohio, I don't remember how many years ago, six, seven, eight, something like that, where there were three women that were kept inside of a house for a really long time. And the authorities figured it out and they brought these women out. And the celebration that was going on as, as these women were, were being taken out or were being restored was overwhelming, Right? overwhelming and this is exactly what Jesus is doing he's coming into the strong man's house binding him and taking back everything that is his one exorcism one healing one heart at a time he's taking back everything that is rightfully his but ultimately the price to keep everything that he's plundered is is death to keep every single thing that he's pulling out of Satan's house keep it all is, is death and it's actually his own death he dies to, to keep it have you watched or read a uh, lion witch in the wardrobe okay we got one we got two all right oh I, I see those hands yeah all right sometimes I like response it's cool once in a while um so did you prefer the book or the movie the book I think both I just think that they they both represent amazing things but anyway let, let's go into the scene where um where Edmund is a traitor, right? If you haven't seen it yet or read it, it's your own fault. I'm so sorry. I'm going to ruin it, part of it. Um, but uh, Edmund has tr become a traitor, 
And, uh, and Aslan makes a deal on how to get him back. And Edmund is freed. But then uh, Aslan and, and the White Witch go into a tent and they make a deal. And no one really knows about the deal. And then as, as the White Witch is walking away, she says, are you going to? And she can't even finish her sentence. And Aslan just lets out this roar. And, and Edmund is ultimately free, but no one knows how. But then you see in the book or the, or the film later on, Aslan willingly walking into his own death. And he gives himself up. Could Aslan have devoured all of them in that moment? Yes. Absolutely. But that would have been for him, not for Edmund. Jesus could have devoured Satan and all of his demons. But that would have been for him, not for us. So Jesus willingly, like Aslan, goes to the stone table, which is the cross, and lays his life down so that we can be kept forever by God. All for us. All for us. And, and then, Jesus mocks Satan. All of Jesus' ministry is a mockery of Satan. Colossians 2, listen to this. Verse 13, we find ourselves and Satan in this passage. And you, that's us, we're dead in our trespasses. In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Edmund is free. We are free because Jesus died in our place. But then verse 15, and I love, I don't think that this has to get added, but I think God's like, I just want you to know about it. He says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, so Satan and the demons, he disarms them and he puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I think, you know, when we look at the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, yes, we get to Mary and the women were the first ones to the tomb. But I have to imagine, right? We, we can have the sanctified imagination. I have to imagine one of the first people that Jesus saw was Satan. And he just says, hey, by the way, I'm alive. All the stuff I've taken is mine forever. And I'm just going to keep taking and taking and taking. And you've been defeated. He puts them to open shame. That any satanic power that you think about in this world, one day is going to be ended. It has an expiration date on it. Satan can't bring life. Only Jesus can. And so the scribes, right? Remember, the scribes came to say, all this is by Satan's power. Now they're forced with this, this question. If Jesus is telling the truth, then who is Jesus working for? Could he actually be the one? Could he be the one that we've been waiting for for all these years? And then Jesus, he doesn't give them like a, a, a pause to think about it. He just takes them to, to the next level and he breaks the silence with a teaching. And I, I believe Jesus' heart for these men was that he wanted them to follow him. Right? Jesus speaks pretty harshly against the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. But then he has these tender moments with them as well. And so in verse 28, Jesus says, and, and I love the way that Stephen read this, because I, I think the way that Stephen read it was, was with the heart that Jesus actually spoke these things. Listen to this. Jesus could say, truly I say to you, you know, but that's, I don't think that was it. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, now, that's, that's the, the, the veiled way of Jesus saying, hey, I'm speaking on God's behalf. This is how God speaks. 
what I'm going to say is absolute truth. And then he says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now you just come to town. You just have been spreading, you know, this whole social media campaign against Jesus, billboards, everything. Then Jesus says, hey, come over for wine and cheese. Just bring water, I'll turn it into wine, but bring the cheese, right? And then Jesus is saying, hey, I just want to let you guys know, I'm going to forgive everything. Do you want in on that? You've been speaking about me in this way, but do you want in on this forgiveness? Jesus is looking his enemies in the eyes, saying, I'll even forgive the blasphemies that you've been speaking about me. Those are forgivable. Those are forgivable. Everything is forgivable because Jesus was going to go to the cross. Jesus is saying to these men, I'm here to restore and forgive you. Everything you've been looking for and longing for is in me. And this verse brings me so much hope for this province. If you know the history of, of this province, um, the crucifix is, is still all over the, the place, but it's a piece of history. It's not that it means anything. It's to remember what's happened here and what we're moving away from. My great-grandparents were from, were from Quebec. I was told about the Catholic Church and what a horrible thing the Catholic Church was here for them. And that's part of the reason why they left. And that was before the Quiet Revolution happened here. And so I imagine Jesus saying to Quebec, hey, I know that you've tried to scrub me from your history books. I know that you've, you've just tried to keep me as a piece of history that we don't want to go back to. But I just want to let you know about Mark 3, verse 28. I want to forgive you. I want for you to experience life. I want for you to experience what, what true value, meaning, and purpose and identity is. That it can't be found in a nation. It can't be found in a, in a philosophy. It can't be found in an ideology. It can't be found in a language that's, or even a religion that's a really bad place to find an identity. But come to me and I will forgive you and bring you into my father's family. There's forgiveness for everyone. But then, verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. This is the, the verse, I don't, I don't know if you've heard of the unforgivable sin verse, but this is it. And you hear it out of context most often. And so we need to read it in the context that we're actually in. And it's not Jesus saying like, hey, you know, you woke up one night, you know, and you were kind of tired and you did the unforgivable sin in between your sleep state. And I'd love to forgive you, but you did the thing. And so now you're unforgivable. That's not it. It's not this thing. If you've ever been like, did I do the unforgivable sin? I would say no. Absolutely not. So what is this unforgivable sin? Well, Jesus first spoke this to who? It rhymes with gribes and starts with scra. Scribes, ah, you guys are brilliant, all right? So the scribes, they were carefully trained experts. They were the ones that were supposed to be saying, hey guys, God's redemptive action is happening. The spirit of God is here, so exciting, but instead they're, they're doing this smear campaign against Jesus. They were insensitive to the spirit of God actually moving and they were causing severe confusion, calling evil good and good evil. They were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. 
They were supposed to be telling about the Spirit working through the Messiah to bring forgiveness. They were supposed to be coming to town because they actually are hoping that Jesus is the one. And Jesus is saying to them, hey guys, listen, forgiveness is available to anyone, anytime, for anything. It's all there. But your hearts, these hearts you're coming to town with, these persistent, hard, unwilling to change, unrepentant, this resistance against what God is doing, that's unforgivable. If you keep that, you can't be forgiven. Now let me put it this way. Imagine that, um, imagine that Evan is $30,000 in debt. That's a lot. Yeah, 30000 in debt. Okay, and I'm like, hey Evan, uh, I'm a U.S. citizen as well. Uh, I got the stimulus payment, brother. I would love to, love to help you out with all that, right? And he's, he's just bringing it. <laughs> And you're like, man, that's so generous, thank you. But like, I'm going to go around the city and I'm going to collect little rocks. And I'm going to send the rocks to my credit card agency. And if I get enough rocks, like then they'll forgive my debt. I'm like, oh, brother, but like look at your statement. It says dollars, we're working in dollars, not pebbles. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but I think I can send them so much that they're going to finally forgive my debt. It's like, Evan, that's, it's unforgivable that way. The way you're approaching this whole thing is unforgivable. And if you approach God's, God with this persistent, hard, I, I'm unwilling to change, I'm unwilling to submit to you, I'm unwilling to, to see that you're doing something different than I thought you are doing, I'm unwilling to submit to Jesus, then you can't be forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying if you reject my work on your behalf, you can't be forgiven. Because my work is for your forgiveness. So Jesus is not saying that there's some weird, obscure sin that if you do it, didn't know you did it, or even intentionally did it, that you can't be forgiven for. Because Peter, Peter denied Jesus. Paul denied Jesus. And they were both forgiven. So there's no unforgivable sin in that reality. But if you have a hard, persistently resistant heart to the Spirit of God, and you will not allow for Jesus to forgive you, then you can't be forgiven. Because in the Bible, there's never any one person, there's no record at all there of anyone asking forgiveness and being denied. No one came to Jesus asking for forgiveness and was denied. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with this? Well, number one, we belong to a story. This is, this is where your heart should move to celebration. Right, I know it's a little dark. It's, can't wait to be out and sweat in the, in the heat. I sweat the whole first sermon in NDG. It's like everyone else is in shade and I'm just like glory of God's 30 degree heat like on me. But um, the story we belong to, and sometimes you gotta like clap your heart awake a little bit, is that Jesus has already won. This is the story we belong to. That Jesus has already bound the strong man. He's already gone through the house. He's plundered his stuff. He keeps walking back, smiling at Satan as he walks out of the house with more people and more stuff. Mocking him, bringing him to open shame that your kingdom is not powerful enough. And, and that has to move in us. That has to move in us. Uh, there's a song called A Mighty Fortress that was written by Martin Luther. And there's, there's a line in it that speaks well, this verse speaks about Satan, and the end of it, it says this one little word shall fell him, or this one little word shall destroy Satan. And what's that one little word? Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, Satan will be defeated. And so this is good news for us, 
that regardless of what we see going on around us, we, our story that we belong to is that Jesus has already won, that you are secure in him. Secondly, is that you'll be falsely accused in life. Matthew 10, 25 tells us this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, a, a servant is not above the master and if they maligned or lied about the, the master and called him you know, by doing these things by the power of Beelzebub, then they're gonna do that with you as well. That you're going to be falsely accused. You're going to be maligned. But here's the thing. When Jesus was, we already saw this. He didn't fight for himself, but he fought for them. For them to get to see the kingdom of God. And maybe you're put into situations, and I know this is hard. It's like really nice to say this on a Sunday morning afternoon. Be like, oh yeah, 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 that's what I would do. But it's really hard to think that maybe God lines up certain situations where you're maligned and falsely accused so that you could be in front of people and could show them what the kingdom of God actually looks like. That instead of fighting for yourself and your forward progress and your rightness, that you would be able to appeal to them with patience, kindness, gentleness and truth and woo them toward the king of his kingdom and then regardless of what happens whether we live or die we sit under his sovereign hand and declaration over us that you are beloved son or daughter of God the third thing is that there's no unforgivable sin so as we leave today um we go to a city knowing that there's no sin that you see, experience, walk by, that is too great for God's forgiveness. That God is eager. I, as a dad, okay, as a dad, a good, a good parent should do this. A good parent, I know I just put myself in good parent category. Sometimes I'm not a good parent. My kids don't get an opportunity to share with you today about that, but sometimes I'm not a good parent. But good parents, they're, they're eager to forgive their kids. They look forward to forgiving their kids. And God is eager, like he's longing to forgive this world. He looks forward to forgiving this world. He's excited to forgive this world. And so you don't go out being like, oh, how am I going to convince people of this? We get to go out knowing that God is eager about this and that we get to present him in this story. And we get to show what living in his kingdom actually looks like. And as people see difference and they ask questions, like, why, do you, why are you treating me like this? Like, why didn't, you, why didn't you do this with me? I deserve this. Then we get, that's our opportunity to say, well, let me tell you about the kingdom that I belong to. Let me tell you about how Jesus has changed me and how I would have responded to you otherwise if he wasn't at work in my heart. Jesus has procured a place at his great banquet for all who will receive his invitation to come as they are. Let him change us and be his. So this is such good news for the scribes. It's such good news for anyone in this city. And it's such good news for us. That you, you might be a follower of Jesus this morning and you're like, yeah, but I, I've been doing these things that I don't think God will forgive me for. But he already has. Like he forgave that on the cross. You get to come and receive that forgiveness. It's the same way when, when, when kids go against their parents and they, the parents are already ready to give that. Would you, would you receive God's forgiveness that he's already procured for you? So how do we respond to this? A few ways. Uh, number one, receive forgiveness. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, he offers forgiveness out. He says, I would love for you to be in my family. 
I came and laid down my life for you. Would, you. would you receive my forgiveness on your behalf and be my follower? And I will change you and you will be with me forever. Not just in this life, but in the life to come as well. And he will. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you need to, you need to receive Jesus' forgiveness again. Jesus, I, I, need to, I need to feel that. It's, it's almost like the sense of rededicating. Like I need to rededicate my life to you. I want to I live for you. In, in all of my, my life. Second way we're going to respond is we're going to celebrate and sing. We're also going to stand. Okay, we've been sitting for a year and four months. <laughs> uh, we can stand. Okay, so we're going to stand and we're going to celebrate and sing uh, with, with hands outstretched to the one who has, who has rescued us. We're going to give. Uh, we have a box in the back there uh, where you can actually give physically if you'd like to, but also give electronically church21.ca slash give and this is really for people who are part of church 21 if you're visiting with us i'm so glad you're here uh, it's really a family thing we want to care for our family and we want to care for those outside of our family in such a way that we're able to give away so that more people can meet him um, the spirit maybe the spirit's been saying something or pressing something in on your heart during the sermon would you come share that with me i'll be in the the front row uh but you can come share that with me and, and I'd love to process that with you. And then we're gonna start our time of response by actually taking communion together. And we're gonna run the live stream the whole entire time because we're gonna have music. You might not be able to see that if you're on live stream because people are gonna be standing. And that's okay, you feel like you're part of us. If you were really short in the back, you wouldn't be able to see anyway. So that's okay, pretend you're a short person in the back. Um, but we're gonna take communion together. So hopefully you got one of these cups. If you didn't, uh, Stephen has some. If you don't have it, just put up your hand real quick, and he can bring you on up here. So if you've never used one of these before, uh, they seem simple, but if you're wearing uh, something white, be careful. Uh, so there's two layers to this. The first one is, is a little wafer, bread. We used to do it where we had a huge like loaf of bread and we all like walk up and take a chunk off of it and you know how well that would go right now, right? Uh, so we're going to postpone that until, uh, well, we'll see how long we postpone that for. Um, but this, this little wafer, right, represents something absolutely significant. That Jesus' body was broken on your behalf. It was not cheap. It took him doing what Aslan did, laying down his life, presenting his body for you so that you can be made whole. So if you are a follower of Jesus, take this this morning in remembrance of him. So the second part of it is this little one you want to be careful of. I always point it away from me. But this represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. If you doubt, you doubt forgiveness, like this is the reality that forgiveness has happened. That blood has been shed on your behalf so that you could have peace made uh, with God. Uh, but Jesus told his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. Um, and, and I like to raise this as a, as a toast to King Jesus, right? Because this has nothing to do with us. It has all to do with him. That he, he raised this cup and he said to his disciples, take and drink in remembrance of me. So I'll invite Evan and Shayla to come back up and let me pray. 
Jesus, you are a great God who offers out uh, forgiveness to your enemies. This text is staggering to me. Um, it's, it's always a strange one to think about how, how, do, you, how do we work through this, and yet uh, you've done it. You've shown uh, your glory all throughout this text. I thank you that, that um, COVID did not stop your church from moving forward. COVID has not, um, has not bound you again. Satan will never bound you or bind you, Jesus. Thank you that you walked into his territory, bound him up, and have taken us for yourself. And would it be out of, out of hearts of celebration, knowing that we are really free this morning, that we would sing and celebrate who you are. So we love you, we need you, and we are so thankful that you are active moving in our city. Amen.